Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your compassion, that you loved us so much you died on the cross and paid for our sins, and that you rose up again in power and all authority. We just we thank you for everything you've done for us. Bless those that can give and those that cannot give, and that we use it all for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
take my skin off and help me expose it <laughs> and then help me put my skin back on so it fits right and she's a hero of the faith to me because I know that I'm not going to get an easy answer and I'm not going to get something that's going to make me feel all warm and fuzzy because there are only two sources of information there's the Bible and the world and the Bible is always true every time but the world is kind of like getting an omelet where you have 11 good eggs and one rotten egg so a whole a partial truth is a whole lie but it's so sugar-coated and distracting by Satan we'll fall into it and then we have to call a friend and say hey you know my skin's not fitting right something's just not right in my peace and let's you know and we talk through it and <coughs> the Bible says to seek wise counsel the first place you seek it's on your knees and then after that, the people in the faith who are holding on to it and who are doing what's right, because all those people in Hebrews 11 had one thing, just one thing in common. They took God at his word. Over everything else, they took God at his word. Some of them were sawed in half. Some of them were beheaded. Some were boiled. All kinds of things happened. Luckily, we don't do that today, but we do cut people asunder with words. And we do boil people on the altar of political whatever and on the altar of all kinds of things. If you believe something these days, you're ridiculed for it. No different than it's always been. Look at the days of Noah. But let's come to the altar and talk to the God who is true, who is the source of truth.
our step all ago when I was getting down. All right. Well, this morning, we got a simple truth, but a very applicable truth. Uh, went in line with what Deborah said. Uh, if it doesn't do anything else, it's probably going to make you hungry for lunch. And uh, that'll make sense shortly. Uh, but... Uh, 
we all you know, we love to eat. Needless to say, uh, our message this morning is spiritual recipe. Uh, if there's anything the Bible does for us, it it gives us tremendous recipes for our life, spiritually speaking. Uh, we have our favorite restaurants. We have our favorite meals. Uh, you know, women, men that cook. You know, favorite recipes. I remember growing up as a young child, myself, my brother and sisters, at our grandmother's house. Uh, every single Sunday, every Sunday without fail, uh, Sunday afternoon's meal was fried chicken. And uh, our sweet little grandmother that was as wide as she was tall, and uh, just grandmother, grandmother's always a beautiful spirit and happy. She's standing in that hot kitchen, no AC, cast iron skillets going, and from cutting up whole chickens, battering it, putting it in that fryer and frying it while everybody's in there watching football, having fun. And that chicken would come out of the table. It'd be so hot. And I remember as a child, it, it was so flaky, the crust. And then juice would just run out of the chicken. And my whole life growing up, you know, try this place. They got the best chicken. You know, it's good, but it wasn't grandmother's. People say, oh, try my chicken. And, you know, and you lie to them and say, yeah, that was good. But not as good as my grandmother's, you know. So uh, it, it's something that's always stuck with me my whole life. Our grandmother's fried chicken far as I was concerned, is the best there was. Now, why my sisters don't cook it for me, I have no idea. But uh, they didn't uh, grab the recipe and put it to use. But uh, uh, don't know where it's at. But, but when it comes to recipes for our life, we've we got to be real careful with recipes, especially if I'm in the kitchen. Sam doesn't let me go in the kitchen much. If she hears me in the kitchen, she'll yell, what are you doing in there? So it's like, uh, it, like I can't touch your stuff or go in there, but for good reason. Because one time, uh, one of the many disasters when I was assigned assigned to keep the children alive, which was a, a you know a success in and of itself, but it was a morning thing. I think she may have been in a conference, and I thought, hey, I can make them breakfast. And uh, what do y'all want? They said oatmeal. I said that can't be hard. Well, hard was the word. Because you could, <laughs> you could have thrown that oatmeal through a window or through a brick wall, and uh, I don't know what I did to this day, but oatmeal was going everywhere on the stove. And time Sam got home, I mean the spoon was hardening the oatmeal in the pan, and I said, "She go, is this what y'all ate for breakfast?" I said, "Nope, we went and got donuts, and we." <laughs> and I left the pan of oatmeal there because I didn't know what to do next. I just turned off the stove. But anyway. Uh, I have since learned how to make oatmeal. I can do that sometimes better. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at spiritual recipe for our life. Now, my, uh, the truth, we're going to look at two illustrations that we have of particular recipes that God gives us. And we're just looking at these for illustrative purposes. While they're truths that we can glean from, we do need to glean from, we're going to look at the, uh, the purpose of, of the recipe. One is going to start here briefly. We'll be in uh, Second Peter, but uh, we're going to use Peter as an example. Uh, Peter was one that, that needed, <laughs> he needed a, a, a precise recipe. Uh, he, he was wild for Christ. He, he was rambunctious spiritually, wanting to cut people's ears off, always moving ahead of Jesus in a sense. And so Peter understood the importance of this. So, you know, Peter obviously was a brother of uh, Andrew. Uh, they were fishermen. They ended up being two of the apostles. 
uh, and that Peter, along with uh, who was it, James and John, was in that inner circle with Jesus. I had that intimate, a little bit more intimate, detailed, uh, personal relationship with Christ. But uh, so, but Peter, up until his death, uh, around A.D. 67, I believe, 65, 67, Peter faithfully served the Lord. And, uh, and of course, that's something we want to emulate in our life. But uh, so let's quickly, before we get to our prayer, just a quick verse I'm going to look at. It comes out of 2 Peter 3.1. We're told this, uh, the second epistle that Peter's writing, Beloved, I know, I, I, excuse me, I now write unto you in both which I stir up. Put your minds by way of what? Remembrance. So th that's a little bitty ingredient to a recipe there. Peter's saying, hey, I'm stirring up your mind that you always keep the word of God in remembrance always now when it comes to recipes some of you ladies mothers grandmothers are sure it seems like all their recipes are in books that are open and pieces of paper sticking out and they're going to make and they never pull the recipe out why not they don't need to they made it for so long and they made it so often you could call them and, and, and they could tell you the recipe over the phone without having to say hey, well let me go get it you know, make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. And so, kind of the point Peter's me made here, we need to keep the Word word of God so much in the forefront of our minds that we're always bringing it to remembrance, bringing the recipes that we have for our spiritual life. And, uh, and, and it's very important. Now, Peter's warning is for believers not to get distracted, though. If we're, if we're not careful, we start wandering from the recipe, can we not? You know, you know, I bet you this would taste good in it. I, I'll do that sometimes. Sam will get frustrated for having steaks or chicken on the grill. I see another spice in her spice rack that she leaves open. That's her fault. She left it open. It's this little pull-out drawer thing. And I'm like, ooh, and I'm looking at it. I go, that looks good. So I just put it on there, you know. And then Sam will be like, what did you put on this chicken or something? And uh, so you got to be careful. You start experimenting too much. You start adding and taking away from certain recipes it's not as palatable as with the original, whoever's recipe it is. Well, this can work for us spiritually. When it comes to the Word of God, one, we're warned in Revelation, in God's Word, don't add or don't take away from the Word of God. But when it comes to our spiritual growth, we can't, we've got to be cautious in taking the Word of God and say, you know, I like most of it, but I don't like this part. I'm going to avoid that part. Well, I can assure you, and the scriptures show us that when we avoid that aspect of our life, that's going to be the aspect of our life that Satan or the world or our flesh is going to succumb to. And so we're going to kind of look at this perspective. Now, the challenge is God's given us free will, right? He's given us free will. And we're told that to warn us about the scoffers. Peter says there are scoffers in our life. These scoffers are those that one bring in at the time, at the context of the writing, brought in false religion, false teachings. Okay, that's what happened to Paul after he left Galatia. Then the, the Judaizers and, and the religious came in and told them, we, you know, we know what Paul said, but don't forget, we've got to get back to the law. And it caused Paul to write Galatians chapter 3, telling them, who bewitched you? You know, what you began in the spirit, now you're trying to make perfect in the flesh. So we have example of, of scoffers, so to speak, throughout scriptures, warning us. And we got many in our culture. 
Most of us have probably heard of the name Richard Dawkins. Who's heard of Richard Dawkins? You know, if you do any type of reading, uh, uh, one of his contemporaries, Christopher Hitchens, is a writer. Then you got Sam, I think it's Sam Harris. Is it Sam Harris? Yeah, I think it's Sam Harris. You got men like this that, that are the scoffers of today. And they're constantly attacking Scripture. They're attacking God, the existence of God. They're all about, you know, evolution and teaching. And you can see them on YouTube. And they love, you know, they love to argue. They love to be in conferences, and they'll debate. And so we got these scoffers all around us that are attacking the Word of God. And so how we do that, we can't let people come in and say, add this, add that. No, exclude this, exclude that. No, you don't need that. You'll be okay with this. And if we're not careful, we'll start rewriting the recipe. And we'll get in life, and we're like, man, that just doesn't taste the same spiritually. It seems like there's something missing. This isn't as palatable as it usually is, and then it can lead to spiritual sickness by way of it. So let's pray this morning. We'll get into a simple truth here and uh, see what the Lord has for us when it comes to his spiritual recipe. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather freely in your name. We ask that you anoint every word that's spoken this morning and prepare every heart for your truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we read from John chapter 6. And we're going to take a different path here, and it'll make sense in a second. But th this is at the height of, of Jesus' ministry, uh, different commentaries. He had, well, close to 100, if not a little bit more than 100 disciples following. Now, these weren't apostles in the sense of who Christ chose. These were those that came and looking for healings or maybe got healed. And now they were really just following Christ so they could just get from him. And so it comes to a very powerful passage in John chapter 6 that Jesus gives a sermon. And within this sermon, he embodies and illustrates that they got to, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, since their motive and their intent wasn't right, that just that went over their heads. And basically, they looked at it literally as cannibalism. At the end of John chapter 6, it says they walked with him no more, causing Jesus even to question his disciples. Will you too leave? And so this passage here comes out of verses 57 and 58. It says, if you'll read with me aloud, As the Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Amen. So Jesus makes this illustration that, look, this really shouldn't be new to you. Those that were following him, the, the large group of so-called disciples that were following him, really just followers, this shouldn't have been too foreign to them. Now, some of it may have been foreign, but most people were aware from tradition being passed down of the manna that fell from heaven during the Exodus. So Jesus is referencing that, that look, as your fathers ate from bread that was provided from heaven, this isn't that. This, because that bread did not every one of those Jews die. Yeah, even though God provided that manna, it was only for a season, every one of them died. Okay, Jesus said, no, I'm talking about a bread. I'm talking about a living word that you eat of and that you drink of that you'll never die that you'll live forever. So he's making a clear testament here uh, that's so important. Now, 
Stay with me. Now back to 2 Peter 3, 1 that we read. Okay, we're going to jump to Isaiah 28, 1. But in context here, you got Samaria. Now Samaria ends up being the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the capital of the northern kingdom. Solomon's dead, and now we got to the point, and now Israel's been divided. You got the northern kingdom, and you got Judah. And so uh, Samaria is the, uh, represents the, you know, the entire kingdom of the north. They, they end up being ruled by evil kings and uh, within this split. But then you got the southern kingdom where Jerusalem resides. And more was done. But these leaders of the northern kingdom didn't want people, in a sense, defecting and going to Jerusalem or the southern. So they started appeasing them and they started building false idols and false forms of worship. And what they're trying to do is trying to entice them to stay in this split, you know, and they had battles that occurred. And so this is what's taking place here. Well, within this, God uses Isaiah, and he brings forth this truth. And it's in Isaiah 28, verse 1. It says, Woe to the crown of pride, this is talking about Samaria, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys and them that are overcome with wine. Now, Isaiah is warning them that they're falling into the lust of the world, to their self-desires. And he illustrates wine in their drunken state and not being of clear, sound mind. And uh, now that can still be applicable today. We have addiction, unfortunately, it's real. But it's really, I think, in a lot of ways magnified today. Because today we got a society that's so, you know, the big word, narcissistic. That's so self-centered and self-focused that even though we have these unlimited recipes from God, we're like, I ah, don't want that. I'll conjure up my own recipe. I'll make my own answers. I'll find my own way, my own path. And we get distracted by the, the luxuries of the world, the lust of our mind, the pleasures of our flesh that draw us away. So it goes on in Isaiah there in verses 2 through 8. He describes this in impeding punishment that's going to come by way of their unwillingness to listen to truth. And so let's pick it back up in verses 9 through 13. And Isaiah says this, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast for precept. Now this is important. From precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. Remember, every time the word of God repeats himself, it's, you know, always wish I could whistle. He's calling for our attention. Line upon line, here little, there little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the, un, uh, the refreshing yet that would not hear. But the word of the Lord was upon them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little, that they might go, fall backward, and be broken and snared and taken so isaiah throws a lot at them here in, in chapter 28 now these ver these verses characterize a people in their reaction to god basically what they're saying is hey look you're treating us like little children like you're some schoolmaster or taskmaster you're you're giving us you know warning you better do this better do that basically what they're doing is thumbing their nose towards isaiah god's prophet but what they're thumbing their nose at is the word of god and i I don't need to hear that. How many times have we tried to impart truth to somebody, a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, in a dark season of their life? And it's what they don't want to hear at that time. 
because their emotions are running rampant and, and, and they want to hear and it's human nature it doesn't mean they don't love god love jesus but they're so emotionally raw they just want to be comforted or you know hard word appeased they want to be appeased to their emotions they just want to feel good in this horrible situation and sometimes the truth that you share with them can make them bitter to a certain degree angry don't want to hear that no don't give me you know i had it with you know my children i really set my children down sometimes and, and, and even no matter how much of a earthly father i tried to be the best father i can be to my children is a godly father and, and to raise them and say look we don't do that and here's the reason and they know where i'm going dad don't start quoting scripture they don't want to hear it and we're all like that we can get to a point that no no, no I, I don't want to no, know just i don't want to deal with that right now i just want to the words sound ugly we want to wallow we want to uh, you know be in a spiritual feel sorry for ourselves and we get in these seasons and it's our human nature and we got to fight against that human nature that flesh that will distract us and what it does it diverts us from the recipe that god has for us god says i got an answer for you i got a promise i got a truth that if you'll endure in this season if you'll persevere i got a recipe you that you'll come out spiritually healthy and that's what we need to be drawn to so that being said let's go back to second peter chapter three i know i'm jumping around here a little bit now let's add verse two to verse one it goes on to say that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets remember he's isaiah and all the jeremiah the prophets before peter's referring back to and of the commandments of us the apostles and the lord and our savior so even peter's getting on to reflect back said look we're doing nothing but in a sense regurgitating the same truth that's been prophesied by or you know taught by the prophets because if it's a good recipe do you need to change the recipe the recipe only gets bad or not as good when you start tinkering with it and uh you know we our, our mother had i don't know where she got it from my sisters may know my mother had a recipe it was the best homemade ice cream i mean you know you're frozen you do you make it home during the summer and she had it you know kind of in her head but i would call and get it sometimes and she'd she'd have to go get it she'd read it and i write it well she lost the recipe so then it was like well todd i don't know i know it's this i know it's that and we made a batch and it was like uh-oh mom's losing her memory or something because <laughs> this isn't as good as it was last time and so we got to be careful when it comes to this now this being said the word of god will always the word of god will always be difficult for us to grasp for us to keep to mind for us to use it if we do not like said in the scriptures if we do not compare scripture to scripture if we don't look at the word of god line upon line precept upon precept why well one is critical because that's the way god wrote his word his word supports his own word and that's why you see it peter you know as spoken by the prophets jesus referred back to the prophets paul all the time referred back to the prophets because you get between the old and the new testament precept upon precept line upon line you get god's word just elevating and magnifying itself that's why it tells us in first corinthians 2 13 spiritual things to spiritual things compare spiritual things to spiritual things 
we're not going to do ourselves good. We're not going to have a, a healthy spiritual diet if we're picking and choosing the Word of God. You just want, you know, I, I just need some hope, so I'm going to go look up hope on Google, and there's five verses all over scriptures, and I go and just read those five verses. It's probably not going to help you much to grow in the doctrine of hope. You're going to have to take those verses, and you're going to have to build through those verses, and you're going to have to compare Scripture to Scripture to bring the fullness of the recipe out into your life. And this is what's being shared here. So it's a spiritual recipe for spiritual success in life. It's godliness through knowledge of Him who has called us unto His glory. Remember, we're called to Christ through the gospel, through His Word. Once we become a child of God, our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's then our sanctification starts, our discipleship, and God guides us all the way through that with what? The same thing that God has saved. Why? Because it's the same recipe. We don't need to switch books. It's not another direction. No, it's the same truth that will guide us, that will lead us, that will strengthen us. Let's look at first, Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. Keep on building on it. Which things also we speak, not, oh, excuse me, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to what? Life. The spiritual life that we need, the spiritual life that deep down inside we long for, that life we need that sustains us in the darkest seasons of our life, that life that only can come through the power of God, is pertained into godliness through the knowledge of him they have called us to glory and to virtue whereby are given to us exceeding and great precious promises that by these you might be partakers and that's what we need of the divine nature that we start taking on the nature of christ that feeds the holy spirit within us that strengthen us the divine nature having escaped the corruption that lies in the world through lust there's the countermeasure that's what happens when we vary from the spiritual recipes God has from us that brings us into that divine nature of Christ it brings us those precious promises that we need that sustains us and strengthens us if not we fall to the ways of the lust when we start trying to alternate or elim eliminate part of the recipe so here's the truth of the matter Spiritual recipes are all throughout the scriptures. Look at one here. Here's one of the examples. John 15, 11. These things have I spoken unto you. Meaning, take note. Peter said, bring it to remembrance. These things have I spoken to you that you, that my what? Joy might remain in you. That your joy might be full. Now, that's a powerful verse. We all find times in our walk that are, are, are you know, as eight, or, uh, C.S. Lewis says, you know, if you lack joy in your Christian walk, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. We all end up with sometimes at different times in our life these, these uh, holes, you know, in our spiritual ships, so to speak. And, and the, our joy starts leaking out and missing it. Well, Christ says here, or John tells us, that we might have joy and it may remain in us. So, do the scriptures written or are, there, are the scriptures written that joys uh by according to god a hit and miss thing a high low or is it written that it's consistent it's consistent 
that we may have it always continually flowing within us. So here's a recipe we have for something that we desperately need as Christians. You're not going to function long as a Christian without joy. Because without joy, you're going to lose your peace. Without peace, you're going to lose hope. Without hope, now you got fear. you got doubt. Those lead to anger. Anger, then, the worst-case scenario, leads to bitterness. And now you're in a dangerous spiritual state when you get that far. But it all starts when we start losing our joy in the Lord. Because then our joy only is of the Lord, which means it's predicated on our focus, our attention, our investment, us dwelling in that presence of his promises that he offers unto us, that we receive that joy. So when we miss that, we start grasping. We start trying to add things back to that spiritual recipe and trying to refill our joy through something we're throwing into the mixing boat. And it doesn't get us there. Joy is a birthright. I don't know if you know that. Joy is a spiritual birthright to a child of God. It's a gift. It's granted. It's promised that we can have joy. Well, I don't have it. Is that God's fault? No. God doesn't punish us. Uh, you're a bad boy and girl, I'm going to take your joy away. No, God does not do that. Now, you will miss your joy in God because you're not where you, you need to be. You're not focusing on what you need to focus on. But God, does God take away your birthright of salvation? No. Once you become a child of God, you're always a child of God. Now, can you be in the spiritual doghouse with God? Without a doubt. Can you get reproved by God and get your popo lit up? Without a doubt. But you never lose the inheritance of eternal life. Well, God doesn't dangle joy over us. When we do good, he gives us joy. When we do bad, he takes it away. Joy is a consistent promise of God. Every child of God ought to have that conscious, you know, continuous, contagious joy. If we're not living a life of joy then we're living beneath the privileges and the promises that God has for us that came by way of the cross. Now, don't beat yourself up, because we'll see in a second, David struggled with this as well. I mean, case in point, was Jesus a, a God of sorrows? No, he wasn't a God of sorrows. He was a God who was full of joy, full of hope, full of promises. In spite of his circumstances, or despite his circumstances, Jesus never wavered in his joy, and neither should we. But our joy only also only resides in Jesus himself and nowhere else. Jesus not only wants us to find his joy, he wants us to keep his joy. He wants us to stay full of his joy. This is not the joy that comes and goes. No, Philippians 4.4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord, what? How many times do we put circumstances in there? Rejoice in the Lord under certain circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. Rejoice in the Lord when the season of sunshine and the grass is green, birds are singing. Now, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice there is finding joy. 
dwell in the joy of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 makes it even more clear. It just says rejoice evermore. How often? Evermore. When? Evermore. Things are bad? Evermore. Do circumstances change the cross? Do circumstances and seasons affect the Lamb's book of life? So why would we not rejoice evermore? The reason we stop rejoicing evermore, the reason we don't rejoice always in the Lord is because we take our eyes off the gift of grace and the sustaining mercy that dwells within us. It robs us of our joy. Again, David found that himself. But it's important to note that there's a difference between joy and smiling. Even when the tears are coursing down our cheeks and our face, still we should have joy in our heart. If you get your joy, catch this, if you get your joy from amusement, if you get your joy from when God blesses you, when you get your joy in the right circumstances, that's not joy. That's happiness. And we're going to fail miserably if we confuse joy and happiness. Happiness is always going to be based on happenings, conditions, circumstances around us. Joy is irregardless of the circumstances involved. Why? Because Christ is still Christ. Our salvation is still eternal. And God's promises are still true. And that has to be the foundation of our joy. Even though this joy is available to us, not every Christian has it. We know that because David, when it was brought to him, when he had committed his sin, he prayed in Psalms 51, 12, in the, uh, the first part of the scripture, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not my salvation. That's what he's referring to. But David's saying, Restore unto me to thy salvation for me. Help me bring back into remembrance. Let me grasp that where I was at that time that I stepped out and you stepped into my life. Knowing that that's first and foremost more than anything. And that one statement alone, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David knew where his joy started. It started with the cross. It started through the promise of Christ's redemptive work in his life. And even though he never got to see the fulfillment of it, he so knew the promise of it that he knew his promise was in the Messiah to come. And his faith was so strong, he didn't have to be there to see it. Hebrews chapter 11. Having greater faith, having not seen the promises. Try being an Old Testament believer. And you're trying to grasp faith and hope and joy and strength and peace on something that's only promised to you. That's all they had, but they knew how real it was, and that's all they needed. So first, joy is all-sufficient. It tells us in Proverbs 16 11. But again, it only resides in Jesus. John 15, 5 tells us this. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in who? In me. Abideth me. And I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do some things. Can't do nothing. 
can't do nothing. It doesn't matter how much human intellect, how much gumption, how much perseverance of the flesh that we put into our walk with Christ. We are not going to, to succeed in our spiritual walk. We're not going to succeed in our calling. We're not going to fulfill the fullness of God's purpose in our life. And we will never find the joy, the hope, and the peace in Christ in the flesh. Only through the recipe that God has for us. It's the only way we'll get it. So again, joy has nothing to do with the absence of sufferings, trials, tribulations, or circumstances. Or our health and wealth. I posted this this week. It says, they say a person needs three things to be truly joyful in the world. They need something to love, something to serve, and something to have hope in. I think that's completely true. But I think the way you ought to say it, while true, that's all, that's all accomplished in one thing, Jesus. When we find our love for Jesus because he first loved us, when we serve Christ because he was the servant, and we find that our hope's not in what we manufacture, but what in God promised us. You know, what is it? Uh, oh, man, was it Philippians uh, chapter 5, verse 7, I think? said, Jesus made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself as a creation of man and made himself a servant. God stepped out of heaven. God created all this god and spirit jesus was came and became the creation he was and made himself of no reputation meaning what jesus was saying what we'd say hey this ain't about me it's so much not about me in the flesh as it is me getting to the cross jesus says i came to do one thing only to seek and to save those who were lost I didn't come to build kingdoms. I didn't come to be a king. I didn't come to sit on a throne. I didn't come to get accolades. I didn't come for attention. I didn't come, you know, to seek y'all's love. I didn't need y'all's affection. I didn't need to be acknowledged. I didn't need to be in it. No, I came for one reason only, and that was to serve my creation by getting to a cross. Wow, why can't we make Christianity that simple? make myself of no reputation I just want to serve the one that saved me the father can use me to a degree that he was able to use his son in flesh so something to love we got to have something to love something to serve we do because we're called to serve hope can't live without hope but we have all that in Jesus so it sounds like a pretty simple recipe, does it not? Seek out Jesus. Seek Jesus' will. Find your purpose through your spiritual gift. Use your spiritual gift. Don't pray for the one you want. Use the one you got. Because that's the one that pertains to power. And knowing there's a Holy Spirit who knows what he's doing, gave that to you for a purpose to play your part and to fill your need in the body of his work. That we're all doing this for Jesus anyway. 
So joy has nothing to do with the absence of anything, but solely for the presence of everything, and that everything is in Jesus Christ. That's the only place we're going to find our joy. Now, again, sometimes we're in bad circumstances. We're in bad seasons. We're in times it's hard to even get up, get dressed, and take a step. But no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what our pain and our hurt and our fears and our doubts are, there is a recipe to every one of those in his word. If that's what we're looking for. First or second Peter chapter one again, verses four through eight. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great promises as we read. Exceedingly great promises. Look what it says in Proverbs 24, 13 through 14. Did I give you that one, Mark? Time to get a drink. There we go. Maybe not. My son, eateth thou honey, because it is what? Good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward. And thy expectation, do we not have expectations as Christians? That's where all of our, most of our lack of joy comes from. It's because we create all these expectations we want out of our Christian life. We want God to do this. We want God to open that door. We want God to provide that. We want God to take this away. No, God says, I got expectations for you. Is that not what Jeremiah 29 11 tells us? I, I, God, know the thoughts I think towards you. Would that not be expectations? Thoughts of peace, not of harm. See, we need to let go of our expectations, and we need to find that by way of, 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 of if Christ said in John 6 you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood that by intaking Christ we get the sweetness and that sweetness is a promise of, of knowledge and that knowledge becomes wisdom and when we walk in that wisdom which is putting God's word in, in that knowledge to action that wisdom becomes a sweetness to us it makes us healthy But it all starts with the spiritual recipe of faith. Another illustration we have. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Mark, I don't know if I gave you that verse. Now I can't even think of it. Yeah, I did. Okay, thank you. That's what Peter says, moving on from joy. Whereby are given unto us the exceeding great promises, promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. In verse 5, and besides this, given all diligence to your what? Faith. Now I'm going to stop here, and I was having to ask Sam for guidance. I guess I could have called Ben. Ben could have told me this. But, uh, you know, I started off just thinking of like cakes. That's where my mind goes, cakes and pies. And, you know, but then I overheard her the other day talking to somebody about bread or something. And I thought, well, hey, yeast is in everything or flour in my mind. And she says, well, there's not always flour in everything, but she says there's sugar in everything. 
I thought, oh, that's kind of like the honeycomb thing. That works. Amazing how God works it out. But as I talked to her, and if I'm right, because I'm way over my spiritual pay grade here about cooking, but pretty much everything, does it not have a degree of sugar in it? That's why it's so good. Meaning that sugar is pretty much, in most cases of any type of cooking, is a base product. No matter what you're cooking, if you took sugar out of it, you're going to have a problem. So, back to the scripture, that eat the honeycomb, eat the sweetness thereof. From with it is favor. So here, Peter's telling us that when we, you know, add to your faith, add to the foundation of the sweetness of God's word. Faith is always taking God's word over your feelings, over your emotion. God having the last say in your life. Okay? Add to your faith, what does he say? Virtue. Virtue, meaning the moral character of Jesus. Add to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge is by which we just read comes wisdom. To knowledge, temperance. Very simple, self-control of the spirit. To temperance, patience. Ah, the ingredients start getting a little deeper and bigger here. Patience, without patience, you'll never find the revealed purpose of God in your life. Our patience in God will reveal his purpose in us. To patience, godliness, Christ-likeness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Talking about love for the brethren, the kindred spirit, the unity we're called to. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Hence the word love, but that's the love of God, the agape love, the unconditional love. So we get a very in-depth spiritual recipe here of ingredients that Peter's saying, add to your faith these things. Through these, you will start finding what you need. You'll start finding a recipe that when applied to your life brings not only spiritual health, but it's going to restore your joy. It's going to restore your peace. It's going to restore your hope. So here, our truth this morning, with these couple of illustrations used in joy, looking what Peter directs us to in our faith, the Word of God gives us clear, distinct, very poignant directions when it comes to spiritual resumes for our life. So the question this morning, we have to ask ourselves individually. I use this illustration because I love it. <laughs> Why? do we try to make banana nut bread in our life and so often skip the bananas? Not going to turn out too well, is it? Wouldn't make sense to even try to do that in actually making it. But yet as Christians, we get caught sometimes. We fall prey to the scoffers, be it the world, be it our flesh, be it Satan. We fall to these scoffers. Ah, oh, you don't need that. Oh, it's just more things you're not doing right. Every time you get in the Word of God, you're just going to be get beat up and you're not worthy, you're not good. No, no. And that is every ingredient we need for our life. Every ingredient we need. There's nothing we need. What's in this book is the ingredients to spiritual health, that there's not a doctor on the face of the earth can give you or prescribe to you to accomplish. This is the power. This is the power of healing. He's the great physician. He's our hope. He's our strength. The Word of God is equivalent 
to taking your grandmother's family recipe to the store and purchasing every ingredient you need to prepare for others what you hope to bring them joy and peace and also. But a greater example and difference is this. Our Heavenly Father already has the recipe. And here's the beauty of it is, He's already purchased everything we need. And it's already been paid in full. How nice to be able to go to a store with your recipe. And they said, hey, Todd, we already got it pulled for you. It's already been purchased. It's paid in full. Take it. That'd be a sweet deal, would it not? And that's exactly what our Lord and Savior did through the cross. Provided the items, purchased it, paid it in full, and has given us the recipe what to do with it. Shame on us. Shame on us if we don't take some of the simplest recipes, follow it to the letter, and receive as His Word promises us not only joy, but promises us hope, strength, a sweetness that brings about wisdom and a fullness of life. Don't let your flesh, don't let the world, don't let Satan tempt us with forbidden fruit. We tried that one time, did we not? Yeah, it didn't work in the garden, and the forbidden fruit doesn't do us any better today. That's why it's forbidden. Follow the spiritual recipe. Don't be, don't deviate. Don't add a pinch. Don't take away. Don't add your favorite ingredients. Nothing additional. Follow it to the letter, and the Word of God will appease your taste buds, and you'll get a result that is very palatable, very healthy, and very rewarding. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. And, Father, we took some fun and used some silly analogies and played on the words of a spiritual recipe. But, Father, it all has to do with your word. Within your word is, is all that we need for life. Your word is life. It was the living word. It came to provide everything we needed and does provide everything we need. Father, we just simply need to follow the recipe, follow the instructions. David, a man after your own heart, found himself crying out to restore the joy, the joy that he lost when he wandered away from your word, from your promises that you had for him. But Father, he found it at the cross because that's where our joy started. That's where our joy resides in and through you. Peter illustrated what we need to add to our faith. We need to take the foundation of your word and add to it the virtue and the, and the knowledge and the temperance and all that goes into that, the charity, the brotherly kindness, these ingredients that are so vital for our lives. Father, strengthen us to hold to your word that we don't pick and choose and 
try to create our own recipes for our life. Well, just simply follow yours. Every jot, every tittle, follow it to the T. And we'll, what we get will be palatable. And it will be good for us. And it will strengthen us. And it will bring about your, your precious promises for us. We thank you for your truth. Guide us as the altar is open. As the Holy Spirit leads you. story in the kitchen trying to make oatmeal the truth of that story is I didn't even look to follow the instructions I was just trying to go by thought seeing Sam do what she, I just threw some stuff in there it seemed to make sense to me the word of God is that simple back of an oatmeal box the instructions are no more than three or four lines to get what you need Oftentimes, the Word of God can be that simple for our lives. If we're looking for the right ingredients, if we're looking for the recipe that God has for us. to a lady and uh, halfway through my testimony she says to me she says I already heard it I said oh you've already heard the gospel she said no I've already heard your testimony I, I said when did you hear it she said when you witnessed to so and so I don't remember her being there when I witnessed to this one lady and so I looked at her and I said so what did you do with it Here's what she did. That's what she did. That was her reaction. You saw this other lady get saved. I don't even remember her being there, but she remembers it. She remembers my testimony. She remembers the entire gospel. And So what did you do with it? 
that's the way we act sometimes as Christians. We hear a message and we go, and we, and we ought to take to heart whatever God's trying to speak to our hearts about. So, Jenny, thank you so much for the little gift. That was That's a big gift, really. And uh, Margaret, always the things that uh, you bring, and we're praying for Robert big time. And your wrist? Oh, surgery Friday. Oh, okay. I, I did not know that. Um, so we need to pray for Margaret. And, and before you leave, just don't do this. Go up to her and pray for her. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. So go to them and say, let's, let's have a quick word of prayer. You know, don't, just don't go like this. Don't shrug it off. Amen? Good job. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. We take the Word of God seriously, and we want to make sure we never mess with the recipe that's always worked for 6,000 years. In Jesus' name, amen.